You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey everybody, welcome to Rocks Across the Ponds. Welcome to Curling Series. Coming to you from Richmond, Virginia, my name is Ryan McGee and joining here, joining me, yeah, let's start that over. Hey everybody, welcome to Rocks Across the Ponds. Welcome to Curling Series. Coming to you from Richmond, Virginia, my name is Ryan McGee and joining me momentarily will be my co-host from Southampton, England, Jonathan Havercroft. This is a group of episodes that is meant to help people who might be watching curling for the first time during the 2022 Olympics in Beijing better understand just what on earth is going on in this unique sport that we know and love. Uh, I know it took me forever to really understand what was going on when I first saw this sport, which was all the way back during the 2006 Olympics. And I also know the frequent questions that I get whenever I teach learn to curl. And hopefully this is something that our regular listeners can pass along to their friends who might just now be finding this sport. Uh, in the initial episode, we gave you a look at kind of high level, uh, 5,000 foot view of the rules of curling and how the game is played. You've also got additional episodes that go over the strategy that you'll see from the teams, the jargon you'll hear from the players and announcers. Uh, and really, this group of episodes is is kind of an onion. You can peel back as many layers as you'd like. And the one that we are peeling back today is for those of you who may want to actually get on the ice and, and throw a few rocks and try this sport. Uh, in this series to help make sure that we are giving you something that can really introduce newcomers to the sport. We've invited some friends of ours who are familiar with curling but aren't complete nerds like Jonathan and I to just kind of call a timeout on us whenever we fall short of giving a good enough description of what's going on or if we're assuming too much knowledge. Uh, and joining us today is Alice Cloaker. Alice is, a, is an open water swimmer. She has curled with me before. We were Oklahoma Curling Club League champions together. Uh, it's also she's also Jonathan's wife. Um, so Jonathan is really um, really up against it here today. Usually he has just me making fun of him during a given episode, but we have Alice here, so we'll probably tag team on uh, <laughs> telling everyone of, of telling oh, everyone how horrible Jonathan on. is. <laughs> well. well <laughs> Or not. Never. No, no, no. <laughs> Alice, thank you so much for joining us today. Delighted to be here. Thank you for asking me. Just to, before we get started, uh, we do want to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, can you just let everybody know where you're from and what it was like growing up there? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, gosh, born and raised in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And yeah, spent uh, the first 17 years of my life there. My parents still live there. Went to college in Iowa at a small school called Grinnell College, the most famous college in Powashee County. Um, no, it's actually, it's, it's a lovely little liberal arts college. I've been there three times. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's lovely. I'm going back there. I hope, fingers crossed this summer for my 25th uh, reunion, which uh, tells you how old I am. <laughs> And um, 
gosh, after that, let's see, I spent some time in Mexico on the U.S.-Mexico border, spent some time in Peru, and then um, uh, started uh, graduate school at the University of Minnesota where uh, I met Jonathan. So we actually, um, yeah, we met when he was a student on like an orientation tour, like deciding, I guess, if he was going to come study. And then we were placed in an office together overlooking the Mississippi and um, yeah, got to pal around for a bit and then uh, got hitched, moved to Oklahoma, spent a few years there and decided to, uh, you know, move to England, uh, gosh, eight years ago now. You grew up in the Twin Cities, so did you know about curling before you met Jonathan? I'm embarrassed to say I did not. Okay. No, I had I had never heard of the sport. And so how were you, you were first introduced to curling, I assume, through Jonathan? I was first introduced to curling through Jonathan. So yes, in part of our, our courtship stage, I guess, he um, took me in and um, yeah, he kind of talked about curling and I just... <laughs> I confess I just sort of tuned it out. I was like, I don't really know what he's talking about. I don't know if this is like a weird Canadian thing. But he said, oh, there's this club in St. Paul. You should come. I think maybe I was giving him a lift somewhere. Um, yeah, but I came into the club, the St. Paul Curling Club. And I think my first impression was that it was like a Masonic Lodge or something. <laughs> like I sort of didn't like I was like, so are these like dude? do they have like a secret handshake or like what's going on? It was just, it was definitely not a scene I'd ever been in before, but it's cool. And there's some very chill, cool people who, who curl and Jonathan got a lot of uh, university of Minnesota graduate students involved in it. And uh, yeah, good fun. All right. So don't lie. How dumb did you think curling was when you first saw it? Okay, I I did not think it was dumb. I did not think it was dumb. I thought it was strange. Okay. So, which is which is different than dumb. I I mean, maybe it was it was unusual. I just, it was uh, so, so you go into this um building and it was not in like a super nice part of St. Paul at the time, although now I think it's a fairly posh neighborhood. And it was sort of like, you don't know what to expect. It's just like, it seems like there's this, this big thing. And then you walk in. Yeah. And it's got like, there's metals up on the wall. And there's this whole like thing of glass and um, bright lights and big sheets of ice and people sort of running up and down and yelling at each other and pushing big rocks and hunks of granite. And, there, and, this, and it was perplexing and, and odd and weird, but I didn't think it was dumb. It was just something I'd really never seen before and nothing can really prepare you for seeing it for the first time. <laughs> and so this is kind of important since the people listening to this show are going to be new to curling and they're going to be start hopefully starting out for the first time. Was it intimidating walking into a curling club for the first time like that? I did. There was, you know, it was, yeah. It was a little intimidating in the sense of uh, you definitely felt like there were people there that they all knew each other and were hmm. and were doing a thing and and one felt a little bit out of place like oh am i supposed to be here is this private is it okay that i'm here is this kind of an exclusive club um it, it, i wasn't quite sure what to think in that sense okay so that's a 
big important note for the people like me that are going to be teaching newcomers during this Olympic rush is to get rid of that intimidation factor and get rid of that sense of, oh, is this a private club? Am I supposed to be here? Like that needs to be the farthest from people's minds when they walk into a curling club. Well, yeah, because, you know, once you get to know the community, you realize it's just very open and absolutely everybody is welcome and it's it's super inclusive. But yeah, I think if you don't know that in the beginning, at least that, yeah, th- that was honestly what went through my head. All right. So Jonathan, this episode is about is for, for people who want to get started curling. What's the easiest way for people to get started curling? Probably a learn to curl, Ryan. And so what is, what is a learn to curl? I guess we have people listening all over the world, but what I would suggest you do first is go Google either try curling or learn to curl in Google. And Google will probably send you to your nearest association. It's smart that way. Um, and I would say just about every curling club, every curling association on the planet during the Olympics and for the month or so afterwards, we'll be having a lot of try curling sessions or learn to curl sessions where people can come out and basically for an hour or two, or maybe a little bit more, uh, get basic instruction on how to play the game and uh, information on how to join activities at the local curling club or curling rink. So Alice, did you go through the learn to curls that we had in Oklahoma went right before you joined and, and played with us? I'm I'm trying to remember. I think the first time I properly got on the ice was uh, right as the Oklahoma Curling Club was coming into being, and I think so. It was a arena ice. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I guess ostensibly it was a learn to curl. Um, to be totally honest, it was <laughs> it, it was a little more chaotic than that in the sense that I think like they hadn't put the. Um, there was they were like spray painting circles yes. on the ice because like there wasn't there and so it was it was definitely a bit of organized chaos but it was also really fun and because like you're just trying like not to fall on the ice there's a lot of people just giggling so i just remember a lot of like laughter and giggling and oh this is kind of silly and fun but yeah i guess that was that was the first time i i did i i i curled and so when, when Alice says arena ice, uh, here in the United States, there are basically two, two types of curling clubs, clubs that curl on what we refer to as dedicated ice, which means they have their own curling facility and the ice is only used for curling and that's it. A Zamboni will never touch that. What she says, arena ice, that's what we curled on back in Oklahoma City is basically you're curling on hockey ice, ice that is, you know, it's a shared facility curling, hockey, figure skating, broom ball, what have you. The ice is a lot less quality, but in my opinion, arena curling clubs can be uh, a lot more fun than than dedicated curling clubs. I think we have a little bit more fun because we realize that there's no point in being super serious about it. So when you come out to a learn to curl, hopefully the one you go to will be a little bit less chaotic than the one in Oklahoma City. <laughs> Uh, because when Alice came out, that club had just been founded basically like a month earlier. <laughs> and then the next thing <laughs> you knew, we were all curling. What are some yeah. of the things that people need to keep in mind or 
prepare for or bring to the ice if they're going to a tri curling or a learn to curl session? What do they what do they need to bring to the arena and yeah. how how can they prepare themselves? <laughs> I mean, I think the key thing is wear comfortable, flexible clothing that's a bit warm. You will sort of heat up being on the ice, but if you've got like I don't know, jogging trousers or sweatpants or some sort of, or like even like hiking trousers, if they have some elasticity in them, but something where, yeah, you can kind of squat down and get up and have some range of motion and flexibility in your hips is good. And then I'd recommend just a couple layers on top that you can sort of take on and off as you get warmer or cooler, but you'll be, you'll be cool to start and then you'll warm up and want to shed a layer later. Yeah, so if you're wanting to get started with this sport and go to a tri-curling event, it's really easy. As Alice, I always say, you know, dress in layers and then don't wear jeans and then wear wear shoes that have a little bit of grip in them. And that's basically all you need. And the the club will or the curling center will provide any equipment that you need to try this sport. So the broom, the gripper, the slider, those are going to be provided to you almost assuredly. Yeah. And then I think I just had a pair of just like regular tennis shoes or old mm-hmm. jogging shoes or something like that. It was nothing particularly special. Yeah. That's what I, I mean, I played in tennis shoes for like two years before I bought my first pair of curling shoes. I wanted to make sure that I was, you know, heavily involved and uh, <laughs> playing with you and Jonathan helped me get heavily involved to where I invested in my first pair of curling shoes. But so when you when you sign up for a tri curling session or a learn to curl, you know they'll bring you in. They'll introduce you to the sport. Usually you'll do what a little bit of of dry land uh, instruction, Jonathan. Um, and mainly they're going to have you try to get into the position that you would need to be in in order to slide on the ice and deliver a stone. So they'll have you get in kind of a lunge position with your arms out that they'll call I know at my club, we call it airplane position. And that's <laughs> just to one, get you used to what that position needs to be. And then two, see if you can do it. Because if it's something that you struggle getting into that finished position, we do have alternative delivery options to push the rock down the ice uh, if you can't do a traditional curling slide. Is that right, Jonathan? It depends. So actually England, and I, I like this. I actually think I'd like to see like American clubs perhaps adopt this. So in the English clubs, what they do, they actually start people with the original old school delivery, which is basically a bowling stance. You put hmm. you put one foot in the hack, the other foot out with a gripper on, and you just pick the stone up, up, back, and chuck. What's a gripper? Uh, so a gripper is a piece of rubber that makes sure your foot is not that slippery when you're stepping on the ice. And then the opposite is a slider, which is normally a piece of Teflon on the bottom of your shoe that makes it very slippy. Take us through what people can expect when it's time to get on the ice and actually try throwing a rock. Well, it's going to depend from place to place, but the the basic format is off ice, you'll get people into a lunge position, then you'll get on the ice and Hopefully someone will demonstrate to you what a curling delivery looks like. So that's that's the lunge slide that you'll see on TV. P- okay, so the first thing is people say that looks easy. That is a very difficult movement. Um, so um, you will probably fall over uh, and you should be fine with falling over. Um, 
because it's slippery and it's a hard thing to do. But they'll probably demonstrate that and then you'll probably practice it. And depending on where you do it, they'll they'll hopefully start you off with something to basically try somebody would call training wheels. So maybe they'd have you try holding two stones for a bit of balance or if they've got what are called stabilizers, which are plastic, um, basically plastic bars that you use to, to keep your, to offer a bit more balance when you're sliding on the ice. So they give you a couple of stabilizers and, and eventually try to work you up to where you can hold the stone and the curling broom and like a, a technically correct curling delivery. So you'll probably practice that a bit. And then hopefully they'll let you throw some stones down the ice and you'll realize how hard it is to get it anywhere <laughs> close to where you want it to go. And then hopefully they'll then teach you a little bit of brushing. So how to, how to do some of the sweeping that you see on TV. And then maybe if you're lucky, they'll let you play an end, which is the smallest segment possible of a curling game. So that would be if you've got two teams there, that'd be a total of 16 stones alternating, eight stones for each team. So maybe you get to play an end. I think in most learn to curls, playing one end is the the goal. And that gives you a sense of what, what it would feel like to play a game. An actual game would be eight times that long, but it normally takes the full two hours to go through those steps. Alice, how, how difficult was it when you first started, when you went through the learn to curl process? It, it takes a couple of times because it's a weird position to be in. It's something like... For anybody who does yoga, it's like a pigeon pose, but it's like a cross between a pigeon pose and a lunge. Yeah, it's not a position that you normally just in your everyday life get into. After you do that three or four times and you build up just a tiny bit of muscle memory, you know, then you can start pushing the rock. And, you know, the first time you push the rock, I think mine went like three feet because I didn't push it hard enough. And then I pushed it super hard and like went all the way. So that that's the that's the trick is figuring out exactly where it's going to go once you launch it off. But, you know, it it's something within your first 20 minutes, you're going to be throwing a stone. Yeah. And I always tell people, don't worry about falling when you're uh delivering the rock because it's a really it's a it's a really short amount of of uh distance to fall when you're just pushing out of the hack and delivering the rock um and you're you're going to yeah you're going yeah, to fall over I fell over all the time when I got started you know and I tell people don't worry about how you look cuz there's no way you'll look worse than I did when I first started curling no and like I mean, my experience was that everybody is just cracking up and giggling mm-hmm. and acting like kids anyway. So, like, there's nobody really taking themselves that seriously. Yeah, no one who's just starting this sport is going to be great right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be graceful at this your first few goes, that is for sure. <laughs> All right, Jonathan, go into what people need to know when they're learning sweeping. I have very strong opinions about this. I think the key, and this is for clubs also organizing these sessions, the key word here is safety because honestly, the most dangerous thing we do when we're teaching curling to new curlers is teaching them how to sweep. Yes. The the overwhelming majority of injuries I've seen in curling are sweeping related, not delivery related. Mm -hmm. And it's because someone loses their balance on Mm -hmm. the ice 
wipes out and hits their head. And if you hit it at the wrong angle, you can get knocked out. I've, we've seen people get knocked out. So it actually, it's not that common. So I don't want people to be no. scared off curling, but I think a lot of clubs teach sweeping very poorly and they assume that sweeping's the easy part, but from a safety perspective, it's the hard part. I feel very strongly that when teaching sweeping, people should be using two grippers. So they should have two, the club should make available two grippers so that it's, it's safe because it's not slippery because people can show up to a learn to curl in all kinds of footwear. And I've seen mm-hmm. people show up with like leather soled shoes or I've seen in Oklahoma, I saw someone that went show up in cowboy boots. Which, yeah, I have seen that. <laughs> yeah, which is not a good idea. So trainers, make sure you're wearing trainers or jogging shoes or whatever it's called, wherever you are, sneakers, they call it in the US. Um, rubber-soled shoes. Um, if the club has grippers available, I would encourage the club to, to hand those out to everybody. And what you should be taught is what I would call a shuffle step, where you're taught to have your feet always facing the direction you're going, your outside hand is holding the top of the broom and your inside hand relative to the stone is holding the bottom of the broom. And you're, you're going to go slow and you do not have to keep up the stone. If the stone's going fast, I tell people, let it go. Do not run. Running is where people wipe out. So you just kind of do a shuffle stuff and you, it's almost like a skiing motion where your feet should not leave the ice. You're just kind of shuffling down the ice in short strokes and just and just kind of get a little bit of feel for doing that footwork and then try to move the brush head back and forth on the ice moderately, I would say, to begin with. I think to, to anything more advanced than that in your first session is just too much, I think. Just yeah. learn how to get the brush moving back and forth as you do the shuffle step because that's actually quite a complicated motion to learn. Yeah, the way I, I tell people is if you're having to go so fast that at any point – you don't have both feet on the ice, then the, the rock does not need to be swept. It's going fast enough that you're, you're not necessarily mm, yeah. just let it go. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of people very quickly discover why curling's a sport if they do that. Cause actually that's a very slow, simple motion. If you start lifting your feet up off the ice and when I'm teaching more advanced sweeping, that's what we call a technical fault, which is because if you're doing that, that means you're taking pressure off the brush head. So actually the pro curlers you see on TV almost always have both their feet on the ice at all times in actually very complicated positions, often on the balls of their feet. You, you couldn't do that when you were starting, but you actually do not want to be picking your feet up and taking steps anyway, because if you're doing that, it's not, not efficient sweeping. So you've got to learn to kind of keep your feet on the ice at all times, A for safety but B also just for sweeping, sweeping technique and efficiency. So let's talk about joining a league. How, what made you decide to make the jump from just doing a learn to curl to joining a league? And how, how did you enjoy your, your time playing in the curling league? With us? <laughs> yes, of course. I enjoyed my time in the curling league. Um, yeah, I, um, of course. So Jonathan being my um, partner in crime, was very enthusiastic to share his love of the game with me. And, and it was fun. And I had a cousin um, who was living in Oklahoma city and her husband and friends and stuff. And so, yeah, I think it was, you know, it was the social aspect and stuff. And, and I think to be honest, if the curling club hadn't been kind of so far away, um, I think I might've done it more, but I'm just, 
I'm an extremely lazy commuter. If something is like more than 20 or 30. Now I say this, and of course for open water swimming, I'm like, yeah, let's go in the car for three hours and go to this Marine Lake. But I'm also like <laughs> about that sport. So I do understand why people like my husband drive many, many hours um, for curling events. I think you told me when the season was over that you weren't coming back because you were going to be picking up the banjo. You were learning to play the banjo at the time. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it was not. I actually, so I had a, I had a dear friend who was, she was playing the banjo and I was playing the guitar and I was trying mm. to get back into my flat picking. <laughs> and so we did have sort of like a singing practice <laughs> duo bluegrass thing going on. That's totally true. Yes. Good recollection. There. Gave, up, good gave up, gave up curling for bluegrass music as, as one does. <laughs> as one does, as one does flitting around We're, from thing to thing as a young person. <laughs> so what was, what was your favorite part of the league? Was it the, was it the social aspect and getting to meet people and hanging, hanging out with people like me and Jonathan? <laughs> Well, yes, that was that was that was totally lovely meeting some very lovely people and the social aspect. I mean, I have to say what was my favorite is that I don't think of myself as a particularly like sporty or competitive person, but on those occasions where like you know, we scored big or like <laughs> our team won by a lot of points, it was like, yeah, that's awesome. We totally <laughs> scored. Sweet. Yeah, and hopefully the clubs that you'll be going to or the curling centers you'll be going to, dear listener, to try curling or go to a learn to curl, hopefully they'll be having beginner leagues um, right after those learn to curls. And I've taught a lot of learn to curls. I don't think I've had anyone that at the end of a one to two hour learn to curl that I thought wasn't ready to at least join a beginner league. For sure. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You do, you do a learn to curl session and you're, you're set up for a beginner league. Absolutely. And even if it's, even if it's not a beginner league, hopefully the curling center that you go to will be kind of splitting the teams up, especially right after an Olympic boom, like hopefully curling in the U S has here uh, at the end of the Olympics uh, to where they're pairing you with more um, veteran curlers who can kind of help you along. And I remember Four years ago after Pyeongchang, the way we did it was we had enough beginners that the entire league was brand new curlers. And then people like me were kind of paired up with each team as kind of like a coach who, and I would just, honestly, I just hung out behind the hack, um, helped people, um, instructed my team on how to get better and drink beer. And honestly, that was just <laughs> as much fun. That was just as much fun as actually curling. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm still friends with the people from the team that I helped coach. I still talk with them. One of them um, actually got really serious into curling and was um, going to tournaments all up and down the East Coast and just recently moved, unfortunately. Um, so then uh, once you start getting into a beginner league, hopefully you'll get a little bit better. And I have to say, once you get to that point, I highly recommend going to a bond spiel. So Jonathan, what is a bond spiel? It's a fancy word for curling tournament. And when we say curling tournaments, are we talking like super serious, super competitive, winner it take can all? Be. It can't be. <laughs> <laughs> but what, um, what percentage of bond spiels are actually like that though? 
And what percentage of bond spiels are for people looking to have a good time? Um, I think most are for people looking to, in the U.S. especially. I think the U.S. probably more than any other place I've played does a fantastic job of what I would call the social bond spiel. Most bond spiels are set up so that you can do it in three days. So they normally go Friday to Sunday. They're done normally Sunday early afternoon. And so it's totally set up for you to kind of find a, a, a curling rink, maybe, you know, four or five hours from where you're at. Go there with a group of friends. You'll play at least three games, sometimes minimum guarantee of four. And probably most you play is five uh, in most in most curling bond spiels. Um, you'll and they normally set it up in such a way that eventually your team will find its level. So if you're not a very good team, maybe the first game you'll play someone really good and you'll get blown out. But by the time you're playing on Sunday, you're playing with the other teams of an equal ability. So your game by the end of the weekend will probably be pretty equal. And if it's set it up well, I think most US ones do, maybe a third to a half of the teams are going to come out with some kind of prize. So maybe, maybe you, you know, not a great prize, but a fun prize normally. So, you know, sometimes it's a case of beer or sometimes it's pins. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's like a prize table. Sometimes it's cash. I think we won barbecue sauce once. Jonathan yeah. came home with a ham once, which is funny because he's a vegetarian. Yeah. Although I'm a flexitarian, so I enjoyed it. It was tasty ham. <laughs> or a haggis. There's a bond spiel here I've played in called the haggis, and I'm pretty good at winning haggis in that. What's the weirdest thing I've come home with? Oh, man, you're putting me on the spot. Um, I mean, just different consumer goods. They're almost <laughs> like some of them are like white elephant gifts or like at like a you know, workplace secret Santa. It's something that you would give people or like. I don't know, oddly branded water bottles or weird t-shirts or sort of, um, yeah, kind of hampers of strange food that you wouldn't necessarily put together. But, it, you know, it's all good fun. Yeah, usually here in the States, you know, you're going to pay an entry fee that is usually about $100 per person. Usually that will cover your food and drink. Sometimes not your drink, but sometimes your food and drink for the weekend. There's usually a raffle. Sometimes there's a silent auction. You're going to come home with something and you're going to walk into a room with about 100 people who you all at least have one thing in common, and that's that you enjoy this stupid, crazy sport that, that we get on the ice and try to do. So it's a, the bond spiel is a lot of fun. If you ever actually, if you ever get to the point where, you know, you do learn to curl, you get in a beginner league. If you go to a bond spiel, you're going to be hooked for life on this, on this sport. And that's kind of what happened. That was basically the progression for me. Allison, Jonathan, do you have any parting words for people as they get started on their curling adventure? Hopefully you will make friends all over the curling world. If you, if you take this up. And I, I mean that seriously. Like, well, Ryan and I, I'm in England. He's, he's in Virginia. But honestly, and it, the more the older I get and the more, you know, the more I kind of do other things in this game, it, it's the friendships and the meeting people from all over the world that is kind of the really powerful part of it for me. And that's the part that during the pandemic I've missed the most. So, you know, I think a lot of people show, they see it on TV during the Olympics, think, hey, I can go to the Olympics it's very hard to go to the Olympics, <laughs> um, but it's very easy to curl. And it's, I find it's a great lifelong sport, a great way to meet people. And even in the more competitive, and there's lots of ways to be involved at a very high level that is not necessarily playing. So I think that's the other really cool part about it too, that, you know, you could get into statistics and be a stats keeper. You could be a timer. You could be an umpire or a coach. 
manager. There's all kinds of things you could do in curling that aren't just at, at a high level and they, or just play once a week with your friends. So was, you, can, you can do whatever you want with it and, t- and go with it wherever you want to go. That's right. The, the social aspect is by far and away the best part of this sport, but um, it, it provides so many things. It can scratch your competitive itch. Uh, it can even provide you with a little bit of exercise as long as you're not a skip like Jonathan who doesn't sweep. Uh, if, you're out there, <laughs> if you're out there sweeping, you're going to work up a sweat. And I usually wind up uh, playing in just short shirt sleeves by the end of a game mm-hmm. if I'm not skipping. So um, it, it, it provides something for everyone. And I hope that everyone listening... Um, who is just now finding this sport will will get out and uh, and give it a try and throw a few rocks. Yeah, for sure. You have nothing to lose. And I will say it's, yeah, it's a fun, weird thing, but super chill people. Yeah. And like, as Jonathan said, it's a lifelong sport. So it's sort of an intergenerational thing. So it's like people of all ages can go and it's something you can pick up early or later in life and do for as long as you wish. Yeah, I have gotten my butt kicked by high school students and octogenarians uh, while, <laughs> while curling. <laughs> Alice, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you had fun. It was a blast. Thank you, Ryan. All right. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And hopefully we will talk to you again real soon. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. If you enjoyed this show, we ask you to please leave a review or tell a friend about us. Your referrals to friends and family are the greatest compliment we can receive and is what allows our show to grow and share our love of this great game. You can find all of our past shows and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. If you have a question or comment, you can reach us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to us, and we will talk to you again real soon.